This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Julie Bogart. Julie, thank you for taking us on your career journey. Thanks for inviting me. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, let's start at the very beginning. And please tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I definitely wanted to be an actress. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I grew up in Los Angeles. I found the stage by the time I was five. I was the lead in lots of plays. I loved being on the stage and performing and found that to be a really wonderful use of my free time, both in high school and after school with my friends. So yes, acting was high on the priority list. What was your favorite play? The Wizard of Oz I got to star in when I was a freshman in high school. I was Dorothy and so definitely The Wizard of Oz. Now did they have a little Toto as well? A Toto? They actually did. My principal in the school had this cute little Shih Tzu dog and we (laughs) used his dog as Toto. So he was in the show but unlike the movie we had the dog leave with Miss Gulch so he didn't go to Oz with me. He gets returned to me at the end of the show because you know live performance in high school we couldn't have a dog running around. Yeah that seemed like a very wise decision. (laughs) Well I think you just answered my next question. What was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies in school? Was it acting? Yeah definitely theater and I got to perform and do technical theater. I worked as a stage manager. I painted sets. I did publicity. By the time I was a senior in high school, all seven of my class periods were in the theater. So I had theater lit, tech theater, acting, directing, every possible class you could take, I was taking. That's awesome. And for our listeners who maybe haven't listened to some previous podcasts, we just interviewed the director for Hamilton for Broadway, as well as one of the performers, Tamar Green, from the Chicago Company of Hamilton. So you can go back and check out those podcasts. Well, that's really cool. Well, what was your first real job, one where you got a paycheck and felt like you had some type of responsibility? I was hired by The Limited, which is a clothing store that still exists. It was in a mall, (laughs) and it was the very first Limited in Southern California. So they had just moved west, and I was one of their, you know, sales girls. Well, that was probably awesome because you were, what, probably had a discount to clothing, right? That was the problem. (laughs) I didn't make very much money. (laughs) That was their game plan. You know, you make money from us, but then you turn around and you spend it with us. Exactly. Wow. Well, what do you do today? And if you would kind of walk us through your career path from that moment at the Limited to what you do today. So I went off to college at UCLA as a theater major, in fact, and quit the major within the first semester. I realized that what I really wanted in my life was not to compete for acting jobs in the sort of bloodbath of Hollywood. (laughs) I became very aware of what Hollywood was like. It was nothing like high school. So I turned my attention toward history, which became my major. The reason I chose history is because actually I'm a natural writer. I've been writing my whole life. My mother is a professional author and has written 70 books. She's 80 years old now. So I found myself really uh, drawn to the opportunity to use my writing skills in college, and I became quite proficient at it in academic writing. Like, that became my passion. So then, as I got married, had children, I found myself having opportunities to use my writing skills in a professional way. So I worked 
as a ghostwriter. I worked as a freelance writer. I worked as a magazine editor for a number of years. I helped students edit their PhD dissertation so that they could pass and get their doctorate. These skills were so natural to me that I actually didn't really understand that they could be a source of significant income, if that makes sense. I was right. sort of rooting around for some other option. All the while, I was homeschooling my children. And there was a moment when one of my friends came to me. She knew I was doing freelance writing on the side. And she said the following, Julie, how are you teaching your kids to write? My kids hate writing, and I hate the curriculum I'm using. Do you have any advice for me? And so we sat down. I looked at her program, and there was a paragraph that was the sample for the coming lesson. I read it. I looked up at her, and I said, did you read this sample paragraph? She said, yes. I said, well, did you like it? She said, what do you mean? I said, when you read that paragraph, did you think to yourself, boy, I wish there was a second sample paragraph? And she said, <laughs> no, I could barely remember it. And so I closed the book and I said, why are you teaching writing to your kids with a paragraph so unmemorable that you don't even want a second paragraph? Why would you want your kids to emulate that for their writing lives? And that was a turning point. It was this moment where I discovered that maybe I had a different way of seeing writing than the average parent, the average homeschool parent. So we organized a seven-week class that I led, and I invited all these parents to come to it. It was actually at my church, so it was a Sunday school offer. And by the end of the seventh week, I had like 40 people in attendance, parents and teachers, all interested in how do you grow writers at home? And I learned very quickly that the way professionals approach writing and the way the educational establishment approaches writing are completely different strategies. So I honed those strategies into materials and online classes that I now offer. So that was the, the journey to you know my writing life as a business. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because it wasn't that you were trying to start up a business. It just kind of happened through other folks asking you for help, right? That's right. So initially, I was offering help online. You know, this was the early days of the internet, late 1990s, before people even had websites. But what I discovered is that my advice was valued. And so initially, I wrote a program, and I gathered about 40 families that I called the guinea pigs online in an email group. I would send them a chapter, and they would do the activity with their children. And then they would send me back feedback about the chapter itself, what they understood, what made sense, what didn't. And then for an exchange of service, I would give them feedback on their children's writing. So we created this sort of collaborative back and forth around their children and around writing this product. Once the product was written, I initially had written it for another company who had asked me to write it, and they changed their mind. And so I looked at my husband at the time, kind of crushed actually, <laughs> yep. and he said, Julie, this is the day you're going to look back on when you decided to do your own thing. And so we self-published. I went to a conference. I started selling my book. And because of that guinea pig group, I realized I could also offer writing coaching through the Internet. Now, this is, <laughs> this is back before <laughs> video. This is back before pictures. We were using email lists as our initial way of teaching writing. And uh, that lasted for a couple of years and then went to discussion board format. And then today we have our own custom design classroom. But this all started in January of 2000, and I sort of – 
backed into the room called entrepreneur, exactly what you said. <laughs> I wasn't, you know, setting out to start a business and become a millionaire. I was trying to solve a problem with skills that I had to earn a little extra money to pay for lacrosse. You know, it was that kind of thought process. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. So could you tell us, how to, what does your product look like exactly? I know there's, you, you mentioned you created these guides, these workbooks. What does it look like from a user perspective? So we have digital downloads as our guides. They're you know professionally designed and include all the information needed to create a writing culture and a writing life in your family. They start at the earliest ages, five to eight years old, uh, all the way going up to 18 when a child goes off to college. It is my contention that writing is the same no matter what genre. Discovering your own ability to generate insight, to know what you think about something, to marshal your own natural vocabulary in order to express your point of view is the same across all the genres. But what we typically don't do is teach that part of the writing life. What we teach are formats. So children start to believe that every time they encounter a brand new format, they have to go through a brand new training for writing. But what I do is I focus on writing voice first and helping parents learn how to nourish, nurture, and coach that experience. And then we start showing children all the shapes that it can be revised into. And what happens is for kids who are in our program, they discover that they are writers already. You know, mm -hmm. we could chop off their hands and gouge out their eyes. They could still be writers. <laughs> right. uh, the, the mechanics are secondary to the interior that creates the writing life. Wow, that's amazing. And as an entrepreneur, you're responsible for all aspects of your business. So what does a typical week look like for you? Well, I will tell you this. When I first started, it was literally just me. But within two months, I turned to my husband at the time and I said, I need to hire someone to teach classes. And he laughed in a good-natured way, but he did laugh. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean you're hiring someone already? And I said, look, I will never get to $500,000 a year if it's only me doing the teaching. And then that really cracked him up because up to that point, I think the biggest revenue for a share for a month was like $300, which made all <laughs> the difference in the world in our budget, by the way, back then. Right. But I did hire someone my very first year, and I duplicated, I trained her to duplicate my efforts and we noticed very quickly that we were meeting a need. So today, 20 years later almost, uh, I have about 50 people working for me, and over 30 of them are instructors, and then I have a core staff of about 10 to 12 that are full-time and then a bunch of little part-time uh, people. So we have a full company with online classes, products that we produce. We have a homeschool coaching community that's a membership site, and all of those require staff. So a typical week for me looks like our Monday morning meeting on Skype where I get either the whole team or just the directors together and we go over the current projects. Uh, I meet with my – I have business consultants. I meet with all kinds of podcasters. I'm on a lot of podcasts right now. <laughs> uh, I had a book come out just this year with Penguin Random House, and so I am spending a lot of time promoting and marketing that. I'm traveling a ton. I'll be gone quite a bit this year. So I'm like the figurehead or whatever, you know, the, the person, the personality that leads the business. So I'm not a behind-the-scenes entrepreneur. I'm very much the picture of what Brave Writer is. I do online uh, lives on Facebook and Instagram, and I have my own podcast 
So there's a lot of, you know, Julie coming at you. I'm trying <laughs> to make that transition, though. It's wonderful to have directors of these various departments, and we've brought on people who are writers for us, people who are teachers for us, pe people who are coaches for us, so that as I age, my role can diminish and Brave Writer can go forward without me being the face of the organization. Right. Yeah. And that's how we actually met is I saw you on the local news station talking about mm. a book signing coming up. So you are that's definitely right. out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Now you mentioned homeschoolers, you know, that's where it kind of started. Are they pretty much your audience or do you go across all different educational backgrounds? So they remain our primary audience, but we have a surprising number of families in private and public school who make use of our products and services. And that's because the educational establishment approach to writing continues to turn out adults who don't feel confident about writing. And I know this because adults write me emails whose lead line says, I was nervous to write you this email because I'm a terrible speller or I'm not a good writer and I'm writing to someone who runs a writing company. There is this shocking <laughs> lack of confidence for having been through 12 or 14 or 16 years of education in the adult population, and I aim to correct that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a big goal, but yes, that's the goal of Brave Writer. Wow. Wow, that's really great. As a reminder, you can check out previous episodes at learnfromothers.org, and if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by Career Cluster, and additional resources are under the Resource tab. So, Julie, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was an actress, and what you actually do today, which is an entrepreneur. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? You know what's crazy? I just don't think I would do it differently. I really love how my life turned out. I think I've always wanted to write a book. I, I always knew I wanted to write, and I have gotten to. I've written you know, millions of words, I'm sure, in all kinds of very well-read places. But it was especially satisfying to get to the point where I was professionally published by Penguin Random House for an audience that actually wanted to read my book. And so occasionally I find myself wishing I had started the writing for publication earlier. But the truth of the matter is, I joke about this with my mom all the time, who's this big author, that I was really trying to find out if my message resonated before I wrote a book for publication. I didn't want it to end up in remainders. I didn't want it to be one that was a flash in the pan. I wanted to write something that people cared about reading. And so if I look back over the years, you cannot get there without life experience. And I mm -hmm. feel like every single bit of the experience I've had, homeschooling, parenting, starting a business from scratch, writing endlessly on email lists and discussion boards and blogs has brought me to this place where I've had what I consider the perfect publishing experience. There's not one thing I would change about it. Wow, that's awesome. And it's great to know that you wouldn't change anything because that means you're very happy with where you are today. Yes. Wow. Well, let's make the assumption that someone in our audience wants to do what you do, to be an entrepreneur, and you can define that as you will. What advice would you give them? The main advice that I like to give people is this. I think it's important to be led by insight not by a desire for money. Mm. Money will follow insight, but it's very difficult to have like a widget or a gadget or a thing, and it doesn't, you don't understand how it meets the need. If all you have is the thing, you will not have any marketing power. 
so it's really important to connect with your audience. So one of the things I recommend is to give it away. Give away your insight. Give away your ideas. Literally everything that I sell exists for free somewhere in the Internet universe because I've written about it for so long. And yet people will still buy your products because they want it in a complete package or because they've fallen in love with your ideas or because they can imagine from their scattered experience how this all comes together. So whether it is a physical product or an intellectual property style product, the goal is insight. Do I understand my audience well enough to meet a need that they have? If you know what that is, then you have a platform. That's how you can create an audience. Right. That's great. Well, what advice would you give someone, a student who is currently in college or university or a trade school? That's where a lot of our students are. Is there any advice you would give them directly? It's really great to feel free to experiment. Too often, I think we tell students and young adults that they're not free to experiment, that they should already know or pick a career path or get that graduate degree. And I think there is so much value in having a life not just having a job or even having a career. Because sometimes you get to know things about yourself. I'll give you a good example. My daughter, Johanna, graduated from Ohio State with a degree in French and Cultural Studies. She went off to France and taught English for a year. Then she worked as a social worker in the Bronx. Then she worked as a school counselor. And she started to think she wanted to be a social worker, and she thought she needed Spanish. So she moved to Ecuador to learn Spanish and then traveled the world for two years and turned down an acceptance to UC Berkeley's social work program because in those two years she discovered what she preferred, which was life coaching. So today she's a life coach. She's almost 30, and it took her about 10 years to figure all that out. I think that's really important. My oldest son, same thing. He's done all kinds of different jobs, eventually taught himself computer programming and found his niche. But too often, I think, we rush our students into a final decision, like, you should be X because you trained for it, without giving them time to explore options, to discover whether this lifestyle is even one they want to inhabit. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. Explore while you can, you know, and yes, see what else is right. out there, especially if it's something that interests you, you know, see what that's all about. So that's great advice. Well, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share the main project that I'm working on right now is adding people to our homeschool coaching support group. Uh, that is our least well-developed program. It's, it's doing quite well. It's in its fourth year, but it is the one that is getting the lion's share of my attention. It's new to me to work on a membership site that turns out monthly content that provides personal interaction. And so that is getting the lion's share of our attention. Okay, so that's, you said it's been around for four years, and that's like a membership yes. uh, a membership fee in which you get the additional content? That's right. We share every month what I call a master class of learning designed to help homeschoolers have professional development around education. We offer personal style coaching in our discussion board. So if a parent is struggling with a child who's dyslexic or hates math or you've got eight children and you're drowning, um, <laughs> we give you feedback to help you be successful. Uh, and then I do a monthly webinar for them where we meet together and I address a specific topic. Right now we're doing a book club for my brand new book, The Brave Learner. Right. Okay, cool. Well, as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation. And I'm a huge car enthusiast. 
So would you please tell me, what was your first car? My very first car was a Mazda GLC. <laughs> GLC. In, yeah, way back in the 1970s. It, it was new. In fact, the big joke in my life is, that my only brand-new car was my first car until like a year ago. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's because I grew up in L.A., and my dad couldn't be bothered looking for a used car. So I got this little – it was a little hatchback, blue, manual stick shift, so I could drive a stick, and it had an 8-track tape in it. Wow, that's <laughs> really cool. Boy, it would be cool to run across that car nowadays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, what is your dream car if you have one? Oh, my goodness, a dream car. I think an Audi. I really like Audis. Oh, yeah. Those are great cars, too. And you can still get mm -hmm. one or two of them stick shift. So, well, one great perk to some jobs is a company car. So if I had all the money in the world, I'd love to buy you a company car based on your job. And honestly, I took your uh, motto. Uh, let's see. Help your child fall in love with writing, correct? Okay. Yes. So I changed two words. I said, help your teen fall in love with driving. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what kind of guided me here. So I said, all right, what would be the best first car that would a teenager would really be like, oh, this is what it means to drive. And so for yes. you, I picked a 1967 Porsche 911. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. <laughs> yeah. So some people might say it's not the safest car in the world, but it's not actually that fast compared to today's cars. So it's not that quick. But you can really learn to drive around with this little Porsche. I actually picked the S version, which means super. So it has a little bit more spunk to it. Uh, so that's the car I would pick out for you based on your job. Actually, more about based on your motto, if I had all the money in the world as your company car. That is really a fun choice because my dad had one of those cars. <laughs> oh, wow. Small world. <laughs> but, it was, but it was in the 1970s, and I did get to drive it. So that is so much fun. It is the best car ever. He also had a Datsun. 240Z that he used to let me borrow, like when my car was in the shop, which was frequent because I was a terrible driver. But um, yeah, those are great. I completely agree. That's a great choice. I'm, <laughs> well, I let me ask you a crazy question. What color was your dad's car? Do you remember? Yes. So his, uh, his 240Z, which I drove more, started out like olive green, and then he got it repainted in seafoam green. So it was like really misty, really beautiful. <laughs> But his uh, Porsche 911 was white with black. Everything was, you know, interior was black and all the trim was black. Yeah, it was a great car. <laughs> that would have been so great if you said blue because I picked you a blue one. It's already on the website. So. Oh, uh, wonderful. I can't wait to see it. This well, so at least fun. I got, yeah, at least I got the uh, the car. That's pretty cool. Cool connection no, blue there. Is, so. Blue is my favorite color. I'm like literally in a blue room right now. So you, you did, you're <laughs> spot on. You did a great job. I'm excited. Awesome. To see it. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much for taking us on your journey. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Brave Writer? Yeah, you can go to bravewriter.com. That is the home of our entire program. And there is, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of pages. So if you want to just like dive right in, you can go to the blog and just start reading and you'll get a good sense of what I'm all about. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.